Hey, John. Two songs. Two songs. Good evening. It's time to get started tonight. We'll begin with number 52. 52. <clears throat> something was amiss because it turned yellow up here. The, all this white light behind me disappeared. Yeah. Uh, before John has our uh, <clears throat> prayer and scripture reading this evening, sing uh, Every Time I Feel the Spirit. Let's pray at this time. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for a beautiful day you've given us. Father, for the beautiful colors, for the beautiful world that you allow us to live in. And Father, for the, we know that you created it all and that you created it for us. Father, we pray that we will always show our appreciation for you and the many things that you do for us, every blessing you give us every day. Father, for the blessings of your son, the blessings of the life, blessings of health that we enjoy, Father, blessings of all the physical things we need and for everything that you give us, we're thankful. Father, we do pray that you'll continue to bless us tonight as we continue to sing and, and blessed be your name, Father. We just pray that you will, we will do these things in spirit and in truth and give glory to you. Father, we just pray for uh, the young people as they travel back home. We pray that you'll continue to bless them with a safe trip. We're thankful that they can go and be encouraged and uplifted, and we pray that all the young people, all of us and all of us, Father, can have the desire to serve you and to always stay fast, be steadfast for you. Father, we do pray for those who are sick, and there are so many, and we, we pray for those who've lost their loved ones. And Father, we do pray for Eric Blake's family at this time, for Norma Dennison and, and others, Father, uh, and all those, Father, we're thankful for his, his love for you, and 
We ask your blessings upon him and, this, and upon the family, Father, at this time. Father, for the Thompson family at their loss, we, we ask your blessings upon them as well. Father, for uh, Mildred Jones's family, we pray your blessings upon her family at this time. And, and Father, we just pray that you continue to, to be with those who, who are ill, Father, as Greg Lawson in, in particular, Father, that you'll bless them and strengthen him to overcome the problems that he has, Father. Strengthen Rick Keister, Father, that you'll strengthen him and help him to overcome the COVID and without any issues, Father, otherwise. Father, we thank you that you've blessed Miss Huron. We pray that you continue to bless her. And Father, we just pray that you'll bless all those who are facing cancer and dealing with cancer and with Rusty and with Kelly and and all the others, Father, at this time. It's just just... We realize so many of them need you in a special way, and only you can provide that healing. And, Father, we, you, through the work of the doctors, Father, but you in particular. Father, we just thank you for your love for us and your care for us. Father, for the country that we live in, uh, we do ask your blessings upon it, though, as, as those who, who run and make major decisions for the country as a whole, that they will look to you and, and bless those, as in Jason and others, Father, that kind of deal with the issues day by day and, and realize the, the hard time it can be to persuade so many, Father, to, to live, to think morally, Father, and, 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 and Christian uh, as we are, Father, we pray, a Christian nation. Father, just help us through tonight, help us through this week and our work at school, at home, whatever we may be involved in, just help us to, to show you in our lives. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Kings chapter 15. First Kings chapter 15. <clears throat> verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, reigned Abijam over Judah. Three years reigned he in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. Nevertheless, for David's sake did the Lord his God give him a lamp in Jerusalem to set up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem. This evening, number 755. After the lesson this evening, the song of invitation is number 871. You may want to mark that based on what we've seen so far tonight. <laughs> 871 in his time will be the song of invitation. 
Number 755. <clears throat> Wrong page. Sorry. Trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and times shall be no more, and the morning grace eternal bright and fair. For when the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called the underground Invitation is eight seventy one. Good evening. Be turning to First Kings chapter fifteen. First Kings fifteen is where we're going to spend at least part of our time tonight. <clears throat> we're in the middle of a series where we are talking. I'm calling it binge reading through the Bible because we're following some of the, uh, the folks who are in Jesus' genealogy found in Matthew chapter 1. We're following them throughout uh, the Old Testament, figuring out what God wants us to learn from these, uh, from these men and women that happen to be in Jesus' genealogy. As we do that, we are covering a great majority of the Old Testament. And so we get uh, a bird's eye view, I suppose, of the Old Testament. So maybe it'll be helpful for you like that. Tonight we're talking about a guy... That, that's a little bit different. Um, and so his story is found in 1 Kings chapter 15 as well as 2 Chronicles chapter 13. Uh, so mark your spots there. We're going to be flipping back and forth uh, between these two passages. But first, we're going to deal with 1 Kings chapter 15. Last week we talked about Rehoboam. Rehoboam was a bad king. He had not wholly set his heart on the Lord. He had not devoted himself to God's plan or God's uh, to love of God. He hadn't, he hadn't uh, planned to, uh, to be devoted to God, and so he got distracted by various other things. His son is going to fall into the exact same camp. His son's name is Abijam. At least that's what he's called here in 1 Kings 15. He's going to have another name in 2 Chronicles 13, which is interesting. So we're going to talk about why that is tonight, but let me introduce you to him from 1 Kings chapter 15. So... In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam began to rule over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Absalom. Now, stop right there. He only reigns for three years, right? Which is a very short period of time. You remember King Saul reigned for 40 years. 
David reigned for 40 years. Solomon reigned for 40 years. And then you come into the bad kings of Judah. Uh, Rehoboam only reigns for 17 years. His son, uh, Abijam, only rules for three years. And it seems to me that their uh, short reigns are probably in relation to their short love of God. They had not exactly devoted themselves to following him. And so he takes away their rules. And so this man only gets to reign for three years. We're giving another breadcrumb here uh, that you might have missed if you weren't paying really close attention there in verse 2. His grandfather, at least his grandfather on his mother's side, was a guy named Abishalam. Ab- Absalom. You're probably more familiar with, with the other alternate, spell, alternate spelling of this guy's name. Absalom. He's David's son. Remember? You know Absalom. Uh, he is David's oldest son who, in fact, tries to take the kingdom from David... Uh, and it succeeds and sends David on the run for his life. And David has to uh, enact a civil war in Israel to simply take his throne back from his own son. And so when you read about just the opening verses here about Abijam, you begin to get the impression that maybe this man is not going to be a righteous king because the king's writer is drawing our attention to his history of rebellion as well as his short reign. And so let's look at this guy. You'll see on the screen behind me uh, the two divisions of Israel. I think a map's really helpful. When I'm studying scripture, especially when I'm doing a study like this, I want to be able to see it where it's happening on the map. And so if you've never seen a map of the divided kingdom, this is what it looked like. The great majority of the land of Israel uh, goes to the northern nation of Israel, the kingdom known as Israel. Uh, they'll also be known as Ephraim throughout the, throughout the Old Testament. This is Jeroboam's line. He started this... Well, I don't think it's fair to say he started the kingdom, but he's the first king in this kingdom. God ripped the kingdom away from Solomon, away from David's line, and he gave it to Jeroboam. If, had Jeroboam been faithful um, over God's house, God would have continued his line just like he does, uh, just like he did David's. But Jeroboam wasn't. He didn't trust God, even though he had seen his power, like we were talking about this morning. Jeroboam had a hard heart. He, he didn't trust. And so the northern nation of Israel became known as Israel. The southern nation of Israel became known as the kingdom of Judah. And this is where Jerusalem is, and this is where David's sons will reign on the throne. And this is the kingdom that our study will be mostly focused on because we're following David's line, thanks to uh, Jesus' genealogy there in Matthew chapter 1. So, Abijam reigns only three years. His maternal grandfather was Absalom. So we're already in on the know on this guy that maybe he is not somebody that we're going to uh, be proud of. His faith isn't going to be something that uh, is a good thing. You may have to help me advance the slide. I can't, can't, can't seem to be able to do it. Um, This man, just like his father Rehoboam, is not wholly devoted to the Lord. Listen to verse 3. And he walked in all the sins that his father did before him, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord God, the Lord his God, gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem. You're going to want to underline or circle that verse. Um, And this one as well in verse 5. Because these are key to understanding um, Abijam's Uh, the point God wants to make, I think, through Abijam's life. Verse 5 says, Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now, there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. The rest of the book, the rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, are they not written in the books of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam, and Abijam slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and Asa his son reigned in his place. Next week, Asa is a good man, a good king who loved God and wholly devoted himself to following God. And so we can be excited about Asa, but today we have to deal with Abijam. And so what's Abijam's deal? Well, he doesn't seem to have devoted himself to following the Lord. He seems to have been uh, distracted by some other things that are going on around him. In fact, if you can just notice in verse 6, there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of whose life? Of Abijam's life. He doesn't even note, uh, make enough significant enough impact 
uh, at least for the good in this, uh, in this kingdom, to be able to note it for himself. And he, he kind of rates as the second billing here uh, toward the end of verse 7. He says there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. It's kind of like an afterthought. Oh yeah, there was, there was also a war between Abijam and Jeroboam, but Abijam didn't really reign long enough. God didn't allow him to reign long enough to, uh, to make that big of an impact, to be memorable. Now, hold your finger in 1 Kings 15. Flip over to 2 Chronicles 13. 2 Chronicles chapter 13. Let me introduce you to Abijah. You're going to note that these two guys are the same guy. Um, there's, it's a different spelling of his name, um, but there's a couple of indicators here that let us know that this is the same guy we've been talking about from 1 Kings 15. So in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, Abijah began to reign over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. So the time that he rules is the same. The time that he starts ruling is the same. Uh, and an alternate spelling for his mother's name is Micaiah. So his mom's name's the same. Now this daughter of Uriel of Gibeah, yeah, it looks like uh, Absalom probably had a daughter. Um, maybe this is his great-grandfather. Uh, the term there could be, could be used uh, Absalom could be his, his great-grandfather instead of his grandfather. And so maybe Uriel uh, is his grandfather. That seems to be the most logical uh, conclusion because we know that this man is the exact same king that we've been talking about, although he's going to act vastly different. Listen to what he says here. Uh, Abijah went out to battle, having an army of valiant men of war, 400,000 chosen men. Sounds like a pretty good-sized army, doesn't it? I mean, can you imagine... 900 years before Jesus was born, about the time this man is reigning, having an army of 400,000 guys. You don't find that type of army until Genghis Khan comes around. The numbers uh, of, this, of this conflict that's, that's about to happen are egregious. So Abijam from the southern nation of Judah has 400,000 warriors, fit, young men, soldiers. The only problem is Jeroboam in the north has 800,000 fit young men, soldiers, who are going to fight uh, these, these 400,000 soldiers. Uh, and so that, that's the conflict that we're going to be reading about here in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 13. So follow along here, start in verse, uh, verse 4. Then Abijah stood up on Mount Zemaram, that is in the hill country of Ephraim, and said, so he's in the northern nation of Israel. He's brought the fight to them. And now he's going to talk to them. And his entire speech is recorded for us here. Uh, and while he's doing this, Jeroboam is running his army around to the back end of Abijah's army. And Jeroboam's going to have soldiers on both sides. Because remember, he, he, his army doubles Abijah's army. And so he's got 400,000 over here, 400,000 over here. And they're just going to squash uh, Abijah's army right in the middle of them. It's a good plan. Um, Jeroboam's overlooked a fact, though. So listen to what Abijam says. He says, Hear me, O Jeroboam, and all Israel. Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? So he's saying, I'm your, I'm your rightful king. Jeroboam is not. You need to come back. Come back under the banner of David. Verse 6, Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, a servant of Solomon. This guy's just a servant. A servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his Lord. And certain worthless scoundrels gathered about him and defied Rehoboam with the son of Solomon. Uh, when Rehoboam was young and irresolute and could not withstand them. So he kind of says, Jeroboam's just a loser. He's a, he's a servant even. He's not, he's not kingly material. He doesn't have any business holding a throne. He doesn't, wouldn't know what to do with it uh, if, you gave him a, if you gave him a book about how to be a king. But here's this guy. He has taken advantage of the Davidic line, David's sons, uh, specifically Rehoboam. Rehoboam was too young to know what was what. Jeroboam took advantage of him. Verse 8, And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the, hand of the, in the hand of the sons of David, because you are a great multitude and have with you the golden calves that Jeroboam, Jeroboam made for you gods? It's going to get worse in Abijah's mind. He says, Not only are you defying uh, the, not, not, only you are, not only are you not lined up with the rightful heir of David's throne, 
but you are rebelling against the rightful heir of David's throne. And just because you've got a big army and you've brought these uh, cows made out of gold that Jeroboam told you to worship, you think those things are going to save you? Those things are going to work against you. He's making a pretty good argument here, isn't he? So verse, uh, verse 8, uh, no, verse 9. Have you not driven out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and made priests for yourselves like the priests of the other lands? Whoever comes for ordination with a young bull or seven rams become a, becomes, a, becomes a priest of what are no collides. He, so he says here again, not only have you done the, the, all these things, but you kicked out the rightful priests of God and you put in their place these nobodies who, who God had not ordained. And the things that they're serving aren't real gods anyhow. They don't have any power. It's the picture of Elijah standing on top of Mount Carmel going, maybe you should call to your God louder. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's on a vacation. Because he's not real. So he's not going to answer you. That's, that's what Abijah is envisioning here. In verse 10, he says, But as for us, the Lord is our God. Yahweh is our God. And we have not forsaken him like you guys have. It's kind of what, kind of what he's implying there, or directly saying. We have priests ministering to the Lord who are sons of Aaron and Levites for their service. They offer to the Lord every morning and every evening burnt offerings and incense of sweet spices, set out for the showbread on the table of pure gold, and care for the golden lampstands that, it, that its lamps may burn every evening. For we keep the charge of the, of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken them. So he says, we're doing all the stuff right. We've got the, 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 the rituals right. We're worshiping correctly. And he says, you're not northern kingdom of Israel. And you came out to this battle and you got a really big army and you brought all your, your supposed gods with you and you think they're going to protect you against Yahweh? Are you kidding me? You've forsaken them. You spit in his face. And you think he's going to protect you? No, no, no. You're going to lose this battle. And so he, he's, he's pleading with them uh, almost to, to come back under the Davidic line, come back into the southern nation and reunite this kingdom. But it's, it's not going to work. Because this thing is from God, uh, like we talked about last week. Uh, and so look at what he says in verse 12. Behold, God is with us at our head and his priests with their battle trumpets to sound the call to battle against you, O sons of Israel. Do not fight against the Lord. Do not fight against Yahweh, the God of your fathers, for you cannot succeed. These are the same people who grew up biting, uh, biting on their, their... Wow. These are the same people who grew up learning the stories uh, from Joshua and Moses, all these incredible stories uh, where God would just destroy uh, the Canaanite nations and, and Egypt. Uh, he would knock down these massive nations. And now Abijah is saying, you've put yourself in their position. You're, you're fighting against God. How ridiculous is that? You're never going to be able to succeed. Verse 13, so Jeroboam sent an ambush around them to come upon them from behind. Thus his troops were in front of Judah, and the ambush was behind them. So all the time, what's Jeroboam doing? He's not listening, is he? He's not listening. He's working his way around so that he can be in a better uh, military. So he's got the military advantage. It's not going to work. It's not going to matter. And when Judah looked, behold, the battle was in front of and behind them. And they cried to Yahweh, and the priests blew the trumpets. Then the men of Judah raised the battle shout, and the men of Judah shouted, God defeated Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. The men of Israel fled before Judah, and God gave them into their hands. Abijah and his people struck them with great force, so there fell slain in Israel 500,000 chosen men. He doesn't say they fell in Judah. He says they fell in Israel. So 500,000 of the 800 original thousand died. Now they're only down to 300,000. Those men have been routed and they're, they're going to run home. Um, verse 18, Thus the men of Israel were subdued at that time, and the men of Judah prevailed because they relied on the Lord, the God of their fathers. And Abijah pursued Jeroboam and took cities from him, Bethel with its villages and uh, Jeshnah with its villages and Ephron with its villages. These are villages that are run right, right, along the side, uh, right along the boundary line of these two nations, the northern and southern ends of the nation. Uh, and they're going to be hotly contested throughout the next 200 years. And they're going to be given and taken. And, and, uh, and both nations are going to control them at some point. Uh, but at this point, Abijah has these three, these three cities. 
Jeroboam did not recover his power in the days of Abijah, and the Lord struck him down and he died. But Abijah grew mighty, and he took 14 wives and had 22 sons and 16 daughters. The rest of the acts of Abijah, his ways and his sayings, are written in the story of the prophet Ida. So there's Abijah's story. You know, you know everything the Bible has to say about this man now. From 1 Kings 15 to 2 Chronicles chapter 13, this is his story. Was he a good man? Or was he a bad man? 1 Kings 15 paints him as a bad man, doesn't it? Paints him as a bad king. He's not wholly devoted to the Lord his God. Um, he's getting distracted like his dad did. Now, when you run over to 2 Chronicles 13, you see a guy who seems to be pretty focused, don't you? You see a guy who's saying all the right things. He's put his trust in the Lord. In fact, he's on a battlefield when the opposing army outnumbers him by two. He's fighting a superior force uh, that has his force dwindled. And so he seems to be saying and doing all the right things in First, uh, Second Chronicles chapter 13. So what happened? Was he a good man or a bad man? Was he a good king or, or a bad king? Well, he could have been both. Uh, he could have been a good king in the early days of his life and a bad king later on in his life. Ruling only three years, I tend to believe that's probably what's going on here. But let me point you to something else that might add a little bit more interest to this story. I'm curious why he is known to the chronicler as Abijah and to the author of Kings as Abijam. You know, when I, was, when I was in college, when I was young and I was reading through scripture and I would notice differences like this, I thought, oh, well, maybe like the chronicler just has different resources and knew this guy through a different, through a different, uh, by a different name. You know, it's kind of like uh, some, some of us know a friend and he's got a nickname, but if you say his real name, nobody would know who that person was, right? Uh, I kind of thought that that was what was going on with these name differences, and I don't think that's true anymore. I think that the, the writers of Chronicles and Kings uh, had different purposes, and so they called him different names. 1 Kings is all about can God, was God powerful enough to stop the exile? 1 Kings answers that question. Was, was God at fault for not stopping the exile? Was he not strong enough to stop the Assyrian army from coming in and taking us over, destroying everything? Was, is God at fault here? Kings answers that with a resounding no. It did not, he did not lack power, certainly. Well, maybe it was his goodness. No. Again, the king's author says, it's not because God's not good enough. It's not because he doesn't love you enough. Those aren't the reasons why he has allowed this thing to happen. This is punishment. He didn't break covenant. You did. And he points the finger at Israel. And he says, you broke covenant, not God. So Kings is all about drawing our attention to how these men and women uh, that the Kings writer is talking about, how they broke covenant with, with God. And so Abijam, Abijah is called Abijam in 1 Kings chapter 15. And his story is one of sin. It's one of not being wholly devoted to the Lord because that's what the, the author of Kings wants us to take away. It's one of the things that, that he wants us to see. God wasn't at fault for the exile. He did it. It was punishment. It wasn't that he wasn't strong enough to keep Israel out of the exile. It was a punishment to them for breaking covenant with, with Israel. And so the king's author is going to draw our attention to the king's sins specifically, but also to the sins of the people. And so Abijam falls under that category here. Interestingly enough, Abijam... It means something. You know, have you ever done one of those little, um, seen a bookmark or something with your name on it at a gift shop? and says, oh, your name means follower of, of God or whatever. Abijam means something. It means my father is Yam. Now, who is Yam? Yam is a Canaanite god. Uh, in fact, he is one of the, the big, if we can put it like that, big Canaanite gods. You familiar with Baal? 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 Some people pronounce it Baal. B-A-A-L. Uh, Yam is uh, 
Baal's enemy. These two guys fight over and over throughout, uh, throughout their history together, apparently, supposedly. Uh, in the, the mythology here, these two um, gods fight back and forth. And so uh, when the king's author starts talking about this king, he says, his name is, my father is Yam. He's not an Israelite. He is by blood, right? He's one of David's descendants. So his blood is like David's, but his heart is much more like a Canaanite's heart. He's not following God. Now, what's so interesting is when you get to 2 Chronicles chapter 13, I think you probably find his real name, Abijah. My father is Yahweh. Interestingly enough, Jeroboam and Rehoboam both named their sons Abijah. These dueling kings who have split the kingdom that was once united, once one, they've split it in two and they both say, Yahweh's on my side. By naming their sons, Yahweh is my father, Abijah. Both these men have sons who are named Abijah. Now, this section of Israelite history becomes very, very confusing at this point because a lot of these guys have either the same name or very similar names. Um, but that's, I think that's what's going on here. Both these guys are saying, God's on my side. And so they name both their sons, or both name their sons Abijah, Yahweh is my father. <coughs> and so, <coughs> I think you probably find uh, Abijah's real name recorded for us here in Second Chronicles chapter 13. Chronicles, interestingly enough, answers a different question than Kings does. Kings was, was God not strong enough to keep us out of the exile? Did he break covenant with us? And the answer, of course, is no. You broke covenant with God, and so he's punishing you. <coughs> Sorry. Chronicles answers the question of, can we ever have a relationship with God again? Is he done with us forever? Has he cut us off? Are we finished with him? Or can we ever come back to him? And so you find things like, like this in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 13, where Abijah is a good man. He loves God, is focused on him, and does what's right. And so you find a lot of interesting stuff going on with Abijah or Abijam. Um, but what, what's the point? What point can we, can we derive from this man's life, interesting though it may be? I think the point's back in 1 Kings chapter 15. 1 Kings chapter 15, I think, is where we're going to find what God would have us to, to understand from this. It's in verses 4 and 5. The verse I told you to underline or circle, I think that's where, I think that's one of the things that God wants us, us to see. Maybe the main thing God wants us to see from Abijah's life. He was never wholly focused on God. He was never wholly devoted to Yahweh. Whether he was started off good, and Second uh, Chronicles 13 is the evidence of that. Maybe this battle happened early on in his career, and his heart was directed towards God. It's possible. It's likely, I would think. But then sometime on down the line, he got distracted. It kind of tends to be how it works, isn't it? We start off really strong, especially when we're young in our faith or when we're restarting our faith. We start off really strong. We do what's right. We focus, right? We're wholly devoted. But then it doesn't take too long before something happens and we get distracted or we get depressed spiritually uh, and, and we lose our focus. And I think that's what's happened to Abijah here. His heart was never really wholly devoted to the Lord. And so you find him struggling throughout throughout, throughout uh, his reign, but also throughout um, his life. Uh, listen to what he says in verse 5. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. So God leaves, he calls it a lamp in verse 4, a lamp in Jerusalem uh, because of David. Because David was righteous um, because David was wholly devoted to Yahweh, he sets up his son on the throne in Jerusalem. You might put it like this. God has amazing grace. 
It's incredible, right? It's scandalous. It doesn't make sense. It's grace that's so big and so pervasive that it's hard to put into words, isn't it? Just when you think there's nothing possible that could that would be good that would come out of this situation, God says, just wait and see. Just wait and see. Something incredible is going to happen, not because of what you've done, though, but because he's good. Isn't that kind of incredible? That's only true for people who are wholly devoted to him. He takes up an awful lot of slack on David's side, doesn't he? Especially, he mentions here in 1 Kings 15 with this matter of Uriah the Hittite. Also the census, we know, from the rest of David's life. Uh, where there's two major sins uh, that David had. But God takes, on all, takes up an awful lot of slack for David. Throughout the rest of Scripture, David's known as the man who, whose heart was after God's own heart. So his grace takes up an awful lot of slack for David. And in fact, for the next 200, 250 years or so, God's going to maintain the kingdom in Jerusalem because of David's faithfulness. And so if you're wholly devoted to God, you're going to sin. It's going to happen. We're frail. We're humans. We are, Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians, that we are jars of clay. We do things that are rebellious and sinful. We make mistakes. We do things that are against His will. But His grace takes up for those things if you're wholly devoted to Him. You can make an awful lot of mistakes if you're wholly devoted to Him. If you're focused, laser focused on Him, on the kingdom, on doing what's right, on accomplishing righteousness. He takes up for all the other stuff, all the other slack, all the, all the sins um, that, we, that we commit. If we're wholly focused, wholly devoted on Him, He takes up for all that other stuff. It's kind of incredible, isn't it? Now, if we're like Abijah and we get distracted halfway through our walk with Him, there's no sacrifice for sin. In a few weeks, we'll get to the part of Hebrews where the Hebrew writer is going to say, uh, you're crucifying again, crucifying afresh the Son of God because of your sins. That's a harsh statement, and I don't want that to be said of me, and I don't want that to be said of you. We can rely on God's grace. It is abundant and scandalous and amazing. But we better not take advantage of it. Better not take advantage of it. Tonight, if you need to be baptized into Christ, having your sins washed away, we want to aid you in that request. Uh, that's the only way to come to salvation, is to obey Him in this matter, to be baptized into Christ, having your sins washed away. Maybe you've already made that decision tonight. And you just need the prayers of the congregation here to be focused, to do what's right be wholly devoted to the Lord. If you have any need tonight, won't you come as we stand and sing?
We'll go over a couple more announcements again. Uh, remind everyone that beginning next Sunday, following morning services, pictures for the upcoming directory in the conference room. And there will be a teen devotional next Sunday evening uh, after services. Guys bring snacks, girls bring drinks. Uh, Stepping Stones have their shipment of holiday nuts in. Uh, the price list is on the foyer table. Uh, remember the Blake family and the Jones family in your prayers at their passing. And remember uh, Tanya, Rick Keister, Bonnie Huron, uh, Greg Lawson, and Gary, who was it you mentioned again this morning? Eugene Stover. Eugene Stover. Uh, David and her, you should be probably about an hour or so, maybe two away. So keep them in your prayers as they uh, return back to us. And remember Rusty Kelly, Kristen, Donna Hennig, and Diane Foss, uh, and all those others that are receiving uh, treatment for cancer. Is there any other announcements need to be made? If not, we, uh, the Lord's Supper is still prepared in a conference room to my left. You're right. We will have a closing song and a closing word of prayer. Close this evening with bless the name of Jesus. Bless the name of Jesus, praise the name of Jesus, sing unto the King of Israel. Bless the name of Jesus, praise the name of Jesus, sing unto the King of Israel. Lord, we come to you at the end of our service, Father, thanking you for today, for this first day of the week that we can come and worship you, Father. We thank you for the ability to do so. We thank you for being our God and for your grace and your mercy and your love and for Jesus, Father, and what he means for each of us, Lord. And we just pray that we will let our light shine and, and uh, show others uh, your love through us, Father. And Father, we thank you for the church here at Rome. We thank you for all that you do for us, and we're mindful of all those that are in need of prayers at this time, Father, those that have been mentioned today, just continue to be with each of them, bless them, um, watch over them, pray for Dave and Mandy as they're traveling back with, um, with some of the youth, give them safe travels home, and uh, continue to be with the Blake and Jones family at this time, and bless them, and Father, just be with us as we prepare to leave here, to, uh, to head home, give us all safe travels, a good night's rest tonight, and Pray that we will uh, do our best, Father, to, uh, to live for you through the week and to always keep our focus upon you in all that we do. Father, forgive us when we do fall short. It's through Jesus Christ we do pray. Amen.